at Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah. We've already done an episode Fuck! on Fuck! I keep on doing this! Dude. Yeah. That is the porno version of Get Out. Mm. Get off. <laughs> Just, that's great. It's a black sexploitation film. Wow! What was that? Nothing. That's good. I feel like you just got off your phone and you had no idea what we were talking about and that was your best attempt to join in in the conversation. You kind of reminded me of Champ Kind. (laughs) Whammy! Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the Cloverfield Paradox and also the new film by Alex Garland, Annihilation. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everyone out there in podcasting land, and welcome into episode 145 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman with my amazing intro today, along with Nick Cheney. Um, yeah, with that... Just what I want to clarify was mm-hmm. that hello directed at me and our other co-hosts here, or I'm confused as to the logistics. Okay, mm-hmm. so podcast land, podcasting land, podcasting land. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's podcasting land, yeah, I know. Wouldn't that it be... sounded good? It sounded good up here. Okay, because it didn't sound good down here. Just so everyone. Knows Nick no, just no, his no! Penis. Don't you need to know that? No, First of all, you're assuming <laughs> you don't need to know. So, that. um, hi, hi, Alex. Oh, yeah, so, we'll get to you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Steve Buscemi's character <laughs> in the movie Airheads, the which I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, barely. It's okay. the one with the where they take over the station. Correct. Yeah, I've seen like I remember when he used to run on USA all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so but I never it's, really watched. It's it. him and Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler mm. who are in this uh, trio band okay. who want to have their record played, so they take over a radio station. Classic. The DJ is played by Joe Montana. Mm. It's actually a very entertaining movie if you're into silly, stupid fun. Um, anyways, we, I think all of us here at Film Tank are in that pretty much yeah i think so at least me and you in tucson is i'm here yeah also so anyways uh steve buscemi at one point uh takes over being on the air and just he starts off by just saying hello everyone there hello out there to everyone in radio land uh, so see what i did there oh that's a deep cut i see what you did there ah. But see, no one knew that, about. No, that's yeah, that's, that's, I'm not gonna lie. That's for the savvy cinephile out there. Ah, <laughs> I don't know. I would call it cinephile. Savvy is the word. I guess none of those words really apply here. Well, fuck you. <laughs> Maybe to the USA subscriber. <laughs> I will say the most important thing is it made sense to me. So that's all hey, I really cared about. That's all that matters. Hmm? Yeah. Especially in this day and age. Everyone for themselves, especially the president. 
So, uh, Toussaint, uh, I think he, he made a couple of noises, but he is also here. Yes, I am also here. He did make a couple of noises. Man, I am I'm really ready to uh, dive into this episode, really tear open the, the top of this mystery box and really just have at it. You know, both movies really, uh, I, I want to say... What movies? Well, we're going to talk about them, but I'm just yeah. teasing okay. a little bit here, yeah. if I may. Yeah. I just want to say both movies... Uh, approach sci-fi from such a intelligently emotional headspace that to to watch either one of them is to essentially go to therapy inside uh, a box that Schrodinger has put out there because you you have no idea what you're gonna get when you open them but man are you gonna be frightened when you see what's in there? It's great for very different reasons I would say yeah. It's also amazing how the Cloverfield Paradox syncs up perfectly <laughs> yeah. to The Wall by Pink Floyd. That is true. That is true, actually. <laughs> I thought you were going somewhere else with that. I thought you were going to actually talk about what you're trying to parody over there, mister. What's that? Well, the, that it syncs up with the movie. I know, but I was joking. No, I know, of, but yes. now I had a comment about the actual syncing <laughs> up because I just want to say, like, if that's an Easter egg in your film... That's um, that's, that, not, that's not how films work. That's not an Easter egg. Also, yeah, Inception was about filmmaking, so th- I I'm not gonna touch that. No, nope. That's underage, and I do not want to get arrested. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. So uh, we are going to get to the new uh, film by Alex Garland, which is previous film Ex Machina was. I want to say our first unanimously praised film that was a new film that yeah. we reviewed here on Film Tank. I think we all liked Whiplash, too, but that was kind of like right, that was kind of out a, months before. Yeah. Um, but myself, Nick, and Toussaint all really enjoyed Ex Machina. And yeah. I know we've hit on it multiple times that we were looking forward to Alex Garland's next directorial effort. And Annihilation uh, just did come out the past week. And we're going to talk about it coming up in a little bit. But first, hey, hey, hey. first, we're going to hit on the film that was released. On... Way to tease them. I know, right? Oh, man. It only took 145 episodes. Oh, but that's all right. Getting hard to live with. Like, I'm like, it's just suffocating. That is the that, that is the porno version of get out. Mm. <laughs> get off. <laughs> just that's great. It's a black sexploitation film. Wow. What? Nothing. Okay. Yeah, what was that? Nothing. That was good. I feel like you just got off your phone and you had no idea what we were talking about, and that was your best attempt to join in, he, in the conversation. You kind of reminded me of Champ Kind. <laughs> Whammy! <laughs> just. Tucson, if I ever find you in a fast food restaurant, oh don't ever serving no. bat instead of fried chicken. Fuck yeah, you. I'm referencing Anchorman too because that's the kind of champ kind you are. <laughs> Fuck! Fuck you! Uh, oh lord! All right, so um, this film was in post production. It had a different name, which was the God Particle. Uh, nobody really knew much about the release surrounding it. It was assumed that it was going to be going to theaters at one point. <laughs> and then... I think even the people who made it assumed that. Yeah. So then uh, on the night of the Super Bowl, uh, a commercial for the Cloverfield Paradox debuted. And it was teased that it would be debuting 
immediately following the conclusion of the game. Yes. Can I talk really quick? Sure. Not about the movie. But, but I want to talk about that night. Can we talk about oh, yeah. that, the night, and also the situation revolving around this? Because I feel like this is much more interesting oh, than the actual like, movie. Can, we, can we talk, talk about, about that night and the big game, uh, you know, hashtag, you know, that happened? No. Okay. You want to talk about the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, oh. that, that would... Okay. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Who was in it, Tucson? <laughs> no, the That's Patriots. The Patriots and the... You and don't, the, you don't remember start. the team that won? Yeah, and the Cincinnati... No. Oh. No. Fuck. The Cincinnati fucktards? No, I don't saying? remember. No. Yeah, the Bunglers haven't been in the Super Bowl, I don't think, ever. I don't... I don't uh, know. Is the that Philadelphia the Philadelphia Eagles name? for you, sir. It's a good try. They actually won, too. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you want to talk about about the game? I, he's just being a I'm little just rascal. Okay, just being a rascal. Yeah. Going back to Nick. <laughs> well, I just want to mention... So, you know, it's so weird... The times that we live in that <laughs> no, no, I'm being serious here for a change um, because we still live in a world in which we we move too fast as a news source, as a collective society, because unfortunately, I knew this was I guess new is a strong word, but deadline was reporting. Yeah, that this was mm-hmm. going to probably happen. About an hour before the game started. And Ava... Uh, and Ava... Well, but at least hers was just something big is happening at the Super Bowl. Right. Movie fans, make sure you watch. So, I mean, hers is more of like an actual good Which there tease. are always movie... Yeah, but she said this will change, which whether it does... Like, it did feel like a seismic uh, mm-hmm. shift in advertising. Sure. Mm-hmm. So everything she said I thought was perfectly fine and perfectly wetting your appetite if you were just a movie fan watching the Super Bowl for your, <laughs> for those reasons. Uh, but Deadline basically said we we pretty much have it almost definite that the new Cloverfield movie will be dropped immediately following the Super Bowl and ads will probably be dropped during, you know, like they pretty much had it right. Uh, if anything, they were probably playing coy so as not to report it uh, as a definite thing so mm-hmm. that way they wouldn't get I don't know, in trouble, whatever. So it's weird where even in this day and age in where we can have these quote-unquote surprise drops that we're... can't be real surprises. Exactly, which (laughs) is kind of antithetical to everything uh, of what Cloverfield is about. I mean, no offense, but like that... I wouldn't say ruined it, but that essentially beat Cloverfield at its own game because even the first two movies had the element of a surprise. The first because of it being the first one and the way that marketing campaign just took off. But even the second, we did not know that there would be a sequel for the longest time until that trailer came out and said that there would be a movie in theaters in two months, which was just crazy. And in addition, uh, we talked about this on the 10 Cloverfield Lane episode, but the fact that it was so separated from the content of the first film, even if that was the point, mm-hmm. um, since it was the first right. sequel, you didn't really know that was the direction that it was going. Yeah, right. it was easy to mask, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, even when they, even when they're doing a down to the hour announcement of a release, uh, we live in an age now where that's just no longer possible. And you know, whatever, because obviously we we're going to talk about the movie. <laughs> As a whole, so obviously, yeah, if it was like a crazy good movie, that would have just been a crazy night regardless, because that would have been pretty awesome. Uh, The fact that it's not is a whole separate issue, but 
Like, that's, I think, the ultimate failure of Cloverfield now as a series moving forward, is that if it doesn't have this marketing structure, then what else does it have to offer based on what we were just given? Yeah. Know, and moving forward. Yeah, this... Uh... I'll get into my thoughts about yeah, the sure. Cloverfield paradox, but yeah, can I can I quickly just yeah. kind of give a quick overview yeah, of what the film is oh, yeah. about, and yeah. then we can just go into that. Please give us a quick overview of what this film is about because yeah. I'm confused. Yeah, so this is uh, on IMDb, as most of the great plot lines are, um, orbiting a planet on the brink of war. Scientists test a device to solve an energy crisis, not the N, <laughs> and end up face to face, end up face to face with a dark alternate reality. So the film stars uh, <laughs> Gugu Mabathura. Thank you. Uh, also, David. Oh, I thought you were just saying that because you were just looking at the cast list. Like, no, no. Look at all this wasted. Well, no, that, that is true, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if it was. Gugu or gotcha. Yep, Gugu Mabathura is also known uh, for her scene stealing turn as Kelly in what is probably one of the most one of the most uh, acclaimed episodes of Black Mirror, if not the most acclaimed, San Junipero. Oh yeah, yeah, forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also here, um, Martin Luther King himself, David Aliello, uh, also Danielle. That's Brewer. not how that works. <laughs> no, you played him in a movie. Continue. Uh, Danielle Brule here. Uh, also, John Ortiz, Chris O'Dowd, in a very interesting role for him. Hey, at least he was having fun with it. Uh, well, he was the only one. Yeah. Um, and then Elizabeth Debicki, who um, previously uh, was very good, not in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 necessarily, but uh, she was previously on the series. Uh, the Night Manager? Yes, The Night Manager, which she actually was very good in. Um, so here was just like, oh, okay. Who is basically what I call the Matt Damon, an interstellar character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Although she's... she wasn't really a big reveal. No, but, but as far as like Elizabeth to Becky's in this, I mean, it's like, I guess she's not in this. And, and then, then it's like, oh, oh she okay. was just hiding in the wall the whole time. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. So. Also, um, Zhang Zihi. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't read all the names. That's okay. Sorry. Okay, so yeah, but he plays the character who is in the original timeline slash reality, right? Sure. He's on Earth? Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. I have no idea. He's the, the, the boyfriend? He's the, the husband. Yeah. yeah, husband. The one that she leaves behind. Yeah. Right. To go. But they're not married, are they? Anyway, it's fine. Well, okay. it depends what timeline you're looking at. Well, they're at. partners. They're domestic partners who, okay. who well, live said, together. Well, let's they, not they, preach they, to the audience, they drive, okay? They they're drive consenting a, adults. Yeah, they drive a car together. <laughs> They had children at at one point. Did they? Yep. Are you sure? Well, yes, they, they did. killed. Accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was their children. Yeah, their children. Uh, I'm starting to think that you I didn't watch under, the movie. I did. Alec. I guess I was I don't weirdly think this movie under the impression that, that, <laughs> that she was with another person and he was like the no. afterwards. No? No. 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 Okay. No. That's why he's getting all protective of this girl, because he's like, I saw my little children go okay. poop, poop up in flames. So, Tucson, please start us off, because um, I'm talks. sure you're going to have great thoughts and really positive vibes for, for this film. Take it off my belt. Wow. Wow. This film is bad. Mm. This film is really fucking... On to Nick. This film is really Still fucking... Still taking off my belt. It's really fucking bad. Um, I understand what the significance of this was. Like, it's it's 
directed by a African American or or an African director who you know I, I think yeah I think this is like did, one of his uh, Julius o, I wasn't Ona, contesting Ona, that. I just didn't know Ona, I, I I believe it is like it, it okay. it's got a, man, a majority like uh, cast of like minority actors like yeah. it, it 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 and it was was announced and then released following the Super Bowl it feels like a a a, a pretty momentous a, a pretty momentous sort of uh, of event in and of itself but I feel like its promotion uh, automatically dwarfs the actual end result here which is very very confused and i don't really blame anyone in particular just in the nature of you know this seems like a very bland genre film that sort of got swallowed up into the advent horizon of the cloverfield alternate reality i was gonna say um, really promotional campaign Really quickly, yeah. The studios slash J.J. Abrams have to take a lion's share of the blame here, right? Right. I th- I think that it, this this film uh, this film is you disagree? this well, film is so bad that how bad is it? It makes me want to retroactively redact every nice thing I said about oh. the potential of clo- yo no I'm being fucking serious because I actually had more faith. That in their ability to be able to capitalize on the potential of a sci-fi anthology film series after seeing Ten Cloverfield Lane, because I thought, you know, they're, 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 they're like, even if it it started out as a film that was entirely separate from Cloverfield, and then they decided to like rework it in post, right? I still thought that. The novelty of being able to see we at work least, it in post. There was a slushy cup on the dash. The, the novelty of being able to to see a or at least grasp at a through line from a totally unrelated film of how it could also reflect and refract the the original conceit of of Cloverfield, not as a found footage film and not even strictly as a giant monster film, but just sort of like how people relate to monsters in some way. I, I, I thought that was that, that was sort of. I thought that was interesting, and I, and I think that this franchise might still be capable of exploring that. But with this, I that scuttles any type of enthusiasm. I once said that if you didn't like the first Cloverfield film, and that you didn't like the second Cloverfield film, you could still look forward to the potential of a of a third Cloverfield nope. film or a fourth Cloverfield film. I'm someone who has an equal appreciation of the, the first one and the second one, and can conceive of them within the the, the plot of this 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 anthological like series this film finally explains those no this film th- this this film <laughs> really ha- hammer hammers in that they have no idea what the fuck they have or what the fuck they're doing um just with the 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 ham-handed like post-credit like five minutes that they gave as a as a as, as a half-ass explanation as to how all these things cohere into a into a larger like Continuity, and I Wait. think that 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 is sort of entirely antithetical to what is the point of an anthology. I'm, I'm being dead serious here. Was there a post-credit scene? No, there, okay. was, there was just. So you the, just meant that thematically, not. The, the, are you talking about like the final scene where we see the monster coming up through the clouds? No, I'm talking oh. about the early scene where they have like the the oh, the, the the wonk the 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 book author who's talking on CNN or whatever about the Cloverfield paradox. And are you talking the, about the um, Donald Logue character? Yeah, who's basically just like I laying know. out exposition yeah, 101 yeah. as to how this is how everything's gonna work from going going forward. Now, like, but he's a cook. You're not supposed to take it seriously. I just, I, man, I don't, I don't like this. Which I wasn't a fan. Yeah, this is bad. So, I 
did not care for this film either. Really? Yeah. Tell me why. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, as you may or may not remember, I didn't care for 10 Cloverfield Lane at all, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought the last 15 minutes were some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen uh, in the last few years of the cinema. And then this came along. Um, <laughs> Trump that. Yeah. So here's the problem. First of all, this idea of sci-fi exploration and the difference of timelines uh, maybe would have been interesting if it came out, uh, you know, like 25 years ago. But I feel like there's been way too many films that have done similar things so much better. Uh, better, recently. yes. But we still do not have enough quantum entanglement movies. Okay. But I, I feel like I say that as someone who just eats that shit up. That's a, and that's totally fine. Anyway. Um, but this film is not trying to do anything really separate from what they are doing other than involve the original Cloverfield film in some sort of way. Yeah, no, this is just to echo that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Just, this movie feels like when it comes to like things like quantum entanglement and other big ideas, this movie feels like a little kid on the playground who heard his older uh, sibling swear trying to use those same words and not understanding the context in which it's like saying them because it just comes out like gibberish. What is the Cloverfield Paradox? Because that feels like a title that was contrived in post. The Cloverfield Paradox is where you take a bad movie, and you somehow make it worse by putting the name Cloverfield on it. I'm glad we cleared that up, because right. that's what I was thinking. All was. right. All right. So, um, an, a film that I would very much uh, suggest people go see if they want to see a film that was, for the most part, doing a lot of the similar things than this was, but in a much better package. A film called Another Earth, which is a very good film. Uh, has a lot of the same kind of themes, but in a much better and grounded uh, way. Uh, this film or is... Coherence. What's that? I said, or Coherence. Yeah. Yeah, I like Coherence. Coherence. They literally yeah. share lines. So, no, <laughs> some po- no, like at some point someone in... <laughs> In this yeah. movie, literally says, so, "Well, uh, quantum co- decoherent states." Uh, <laughs> I'm like, "Did how did you just steal a line from a fucking improvised movie?" I was assuming you were There's going not a f- to just... shooting script floating around. Anyway, I was assuming you were going to bring up coherence, okay. which is why I brought up another. Earth. You know what? You're so fucking smart. Thank you. So, anyways, uh, this film, though, from start to finish, was just a bit of a struggle to get through. And it had its moments, I feel like, especially early on when they're in the spaceship. Like, I feel like some of the interaction between the characters, specifically Chris O'Dowd, um, and and a little bit of the early on... I thought the first 10 minutes was, was like, not bad. Like, not, like, good, but, like... If it was clunky, it was at least hokey, and you know, like it just it went along. Once this film has its big action happen, though, yeah. and it's like, look at all this crazy shit. That's when it completely lost me because it's like, oh, look at all this random stuff that just happened. Oh, his arm is gone. Oh, now it's in that room. It's like, I, it, you're, you, you clearly don't understand what you're making a film about. So that's why, like you just said, Nick, you're like a child trying to explain. A very high level. What's the term I'm looking for? Concept. Concept. Wow, I can't speak. 
and it you're just, like a child trying to explain it. <laughs> I'm sorry, son of a bitch. And um, really, from there, everything just went to shit. And and the rest of this film, uh, just like last year's sci-fi space thriller-ish film, Life, which a lot of people compare this to. Yeah, which I mentioned on our. Uh, Top six is my least favorite film of 2017, and this is doing a lot of the same things. Uh, which one do you prefer if you had to rewatch one? Which one do you shoot? Well, yeah. that's, those are two different questions. Yeah. Um, I would probably watch this first, only because... Uh, it's more of a fascinating mess. Yeah. Mm. Life is is so so committed to what it's doing and it's such a grim depressing-ish film throughout. Ooh. Yeah. Life is depressing. That is true. Uh, but um, this at least had some entertainment value at parts, especially early on. But as this went on, I was just so confused about what was happening. Not in a good well, way. The only reason why you were confused is because you hadn't yet seen the Venom teaser. But now that you've seen it and you realize... Oh, I was talking the... about 10 Clover. No, I was going to say... Fuck! Clover. Fuck! Ah, Shit. you did it. Ah! I'm, I'm not going to do it, but you two are doing it. Yeah. No, I was making a joke that the Cloverfield Paradox is a Venom prequel because people said that about life. I know. But anyway... Uh, yeah, I understand. So yeah, I... I... I don't have much more to say, really, about this film. It wasn't very good. There's not a lot to say about this Ooh, film, yeah. but then it's shit. I oh. disagree. Oh, God. Um, and then I thought the... Fi- is someone who likes the first Cloverfield a lot, actually, and was a little disappointed that the sequel was not, you know, involved in it, which was fine. You know, I've gotten over that. Um, but the final scene of this film with the clover monster going through the the clouds and eating the ship uh, i audibly laughed at at my house at 12 in the morning by myself so mm. that's where this series is it's it's got people who liked its first film laughing at it so that's great yeah. so moving on to nick yeah i love this movie um everything about it acting uh script no i'm fucking kidding um i said this to alex and maybe i said this to tucson too mm-hmm. but i'm gonna say it again um <laughs> It it this movie did pull off uh, an impossible feat for me. Okay, I love any media that attempts, like even if it fails, but any media that attempts to depict quantum entanglement, Mm -hmm. just anything in that realm, whether it's a one-off episode of Six Feet Under, in which their third season premiere is one of my favorite episodes of television. Uh, or an entire feature, like I mentioned earlier, Coherence, in which a actual puzzle box of a movie, in a good way, uh, attempts to uh, string together a very loosely scripted, if not almost entirely improvised uh, script. It's your catnip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, this is, like, I want to see it all good and bad. <laughs> this is the first time when... I take that back. <laughs> and, like, it should be literally impossible for me to... Dislike. Dislike a movie that deals with this subject matter this much. But I do, because this is fucking awful. Um, first of all, the cast list, I think, is fantastic. Like, just reading, it, like, everything about this. It's set on a space station, for the most part. It's got all these actors, which I, for the most part, really enjoy. Um, and it's about quantum entanglement. And it says a lot that throughout this movie, whether it's 
affiliated with Cloverfield or not is so beside the point by the time it ends. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, the movie attempts to hammer that home by the end. But if you remove all the Cloverfield aspects of this, like, it doesn't become a worse film because it's already such a inept piece of celluloid that just sits there. It's just so gobsmacking. Just awful. Um, you were mentioning earlier, Alex, that the fact that this movie believes uh, quantum physics or something like the multiverse theory to be something as elementary as just pe- people getting their arms stuck in walls right. and people hiding ship parts in their stomach. <laughs> I, 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 no, I just, literally... It, it phase in his stomach. Okay, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> that's the, what... the fact that I'm showing off is because this movie... Like, okay, yes, we're dealing with, shall we say, theoretical science. Yeah. So on the one hand, that's why I usually like all bad and good mm-hmm. uh, properties of this kind because... Like, who's to say that this is the wrong version or yeah, this is the there right version? There should be no wrong answer. Exactly. Yeah. But then you get something like this, and you realize, nope, they're definitely in the wrong version <laughs> because this makes no fucking sense whatsoever. I think that in order to try to grasp at an understanding as as to what the fuck is going on, particularly with that one character who has the worms inside of them and has, like, the weird eye. Is that eye. the John Ortiz character? Yeah, I think no, so. I don't think so. It's, it's, I, it's the, I thought uh, it was the... The Russian... Oh, uh, I don't think he's no. Russian. Because here's the other confusing part: there, there's no real similarities because they're all supposed to be different nationalities, which yeah. makes yeah. it that much more. Okay, weird. I also kept giggling at this whole all uh, the all star team. Well, the the whole yeah, the whole different nationalities. Because all I kept thinking of was the movie Twelve to the Moon, which Mystery Science Theater did an episode on, which me and you choose on. We watched at least part of it. Yeah, where they sent twelve different nationalities. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. yeah, into into a little space. You know, it's a movie from like the fifties or yeah. the sixties, but into a spacecraft, sent them to the moon. But that movie is literally like someone going around like a Russian going, "I'm Russian," and then drinking vodka. And I felt like this movie was barely a step above. <laughs> Above that characterization of okay. its multi-ethnic cast. So, I, I mean, you can go. Okay, fight, fight. Oh, uh, nah, uh, not for this movie. Not for the, <laughs> I won't fight for this uh, movie. Danielle Bruhl's character. <laughs> here's the thing: he's supposed to be playing this stereotypical Russian scientist who we're supposed to, as the audience, believe. That he's hiding something, but then he's not hiding something, but then in another universe, he's hiding something. Yeah. So that part... He's a sneaky rescue. I, I mean, okay. I, guess, I guess that universe. would be okay that was if the it only wasn't thing... just hitting these stereotypes nonstop here's, trying to get them home. Here's what I have to say about that, okay? Okay. Um, that was the only thing that I wouldn't say made sense to me because I wouldn't necessarily buy it or defend it as logical, but... When you compare that idea, like, if the film had more of that kind of thing where, like... All the, all the these multiverses started to converge and people started getting confused by people's actions and mm-hmm. motivations. Like even if it was a mess, that would be interesting. But because that is literally a needle in a haystack of other weird random shit, like people getting stuck in walls and arms getting stuck in wall. I guess there's a wall fetish going on. <laughs> In this movie. People just appearing People just appearing. People just bursting into worms. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can think of. Like, because that's just one of those things, it means absolutely nothing. And therefore, it it only highlights how random it is. Which, 
again, in and of itself, that's the whole point of something like quantum entanglement, like mm-hmm. chaos theory and the ran. So, like, it, it's astounding how this movie has the feeling of an insanely chaotic uh, merging of multiple worlds. And, and yet, yet it feels so inept yeah. in, its, in its execution of that. And I think that... What I presume to be the reason why all that random shit happened um, is that the Shepherd, that's the name of the actual like station. It's not the Cloverfield station or anything like that. There's nothing on the They should have named there's, it. There's, should have been on the side. There's, no, you there's, say it's not the Cloverfield station. I genuinely thought it was. The, the no, the, it's, it's called the Shepherd. That, that's, okay. that's what it is. It's, it's also the name of the. Weren't the, they like the, calling the, them? Saying like, the Cloverfield, come in? Or? No, the, the okay. particle accelerator is also called the Shepherd as well. Okay. The reason why. The worms show up where they are and why the hand is moving. I don't know why the fucking hand is moving, okay? <laughs> so the reason why the worms show up and why the ladies in the wall and shit like that is because it's like it's like the, 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 the real-life paradox of, of time travel. Like, if, you, like if, if someone were to travel in time like would and they were to transfer to the exact same place in time, then would they still be in the same place on Earth, or would they just be floating in space and just, like, suffocating and shit like that? You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like, that's what I presume is what okay. the line of, of, of causality because it's literally these two stations that are overlapping one another. So this woman was literally, right, like, running down a hallway, and now next thing you know, oh, now you're skewered inside the wall because in another the place. the space station is moving, right. and therefore that's where yes. she was frozen in yeah. time. Okay, yeah. let's take a different example really okay. quick. Let's take uh, Chris O'Dowd's character. Okay. The wall thing. So, am I to believe? Because that was after it happened, and he was like working on something, and then the yeah. wall ate his arm. Yeah, I don't right. know why that happened. So that's <laughs> a, there's there's two things wrong. Well, there's more than two things, but I'm only going to highlight two things. Okay, there's so there's, many. There's two things wrong with that whole sequence. Um, although it did make me giggle. Uh, a that's my fucking arm. It's <laughs> my this. fucking I, arm. I just say that at least oh, once. Yeah. <laughs> um, but A, quantum entanglement, yeah, I've never seen it up close or in person, but it does not... <laughs> it, does, it doesn't fucking work like Pee-wee's Playhouse om uh, yeah. your fucking right. arm. Like the properties of solid metal or whatever do not change just to suck an arm in. Yeah. Okay, that's one thing. B... I don't know if I said A or one. It doesn't matter. Okay. Are so you in, are just, you are I'm, you in the A universe or the yeah, one universe? I'm emulating this movie. Okay, but B. It's paradise. Uh, okay, let's just pretend, for example, that the causality uh, paradigm shift yeah. of this moment did, in fact, because let's just say, kind of like the Debicki character, his arm might have been here. So therefore, when the universe converged, he mm-hmm. lost that arm because right. there was a wall there. Blah blah blah. Why would the arm still be alive? I don't know why. And sentient. Like, what does that have to do with anything related to what we know to be a cursory uh, understanding of quantum physics? Maybe this like, is... You don't have to crack open a textbook to know that that's just not at all a thing. Maybe this is just like a roundabout Cloverfield installment slash prequel to the Adams family where you see like this hand just like moving around and maybe okay. a butler. So can I ask a question? Yeah. I'm going to go in a slightly Please. different direction. Yeah. I have no more story. to add to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. Not good, but yeah, good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good. Um, okay. So if 
we're supposed to believe that this takes place in the same universe as the original Cloverfield or it film, doesn't. right? I, it, I don't think it does. That's no. bullshit because it the doesn't. first trailer for this film was like all over the original Cloverfield are you, film. Are you saying that the entire promotional campaign behind Wait, this film the first is trailer for bullshit? Film? There was no trailer. The trailer that was aired during oh, the you Super mean? Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I got it. forgot about that. Yeah. So the, the, the actual like first glimpse of it, Half the trailer is just the original footage from the original Cloverfield film. Yeah. Well, otherwise, people wouldn't want to watch this piece of shit. It's also probably <gasps> true. But, so this is entirely separate from that, right? Yes, this is a totally different universe. Totally different yeah. universe. Totally but that's because they universe. made it a different universe. Okay. They, that, 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 that at least helps because I was very... The I don't idea say this, I was here... very confused because I was under the impression, based on the promotional material, which is fine... Uh, that it was supposed to be the same, so I'm like, wait a minute. No. But in the it's that's no, no. So no. let me just put out put it out there as to one possible interpretation, which is nothing that's going to be novel or unique. But I'm sure many people have said. But essentially, in this movie, you are watching a group of people on the space station mess around with space time and the particle accelerator, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And in you know them doing their experiment, whatever, they accidentally cause I would say like a rift. In the, I guess I wouldn't even call it the space-time continuum. But Why not? They don't give okay, a fuck. Okay, fine. Yeah. Space-time continuum-like uh, thing in which the many parallel universes of just what anyone would consider to be like the many worlds theory, which mm-hmm. is that any choice you make or do not make just opens up another universe yeah. in which that acts out and whatnot, but they accidentally bridge them all together in a way where things cross over. So, therefore, from what I believe, I think is what they're going for, every movie we see are not necessarily the same universe, but we are seeing the effects of what happened in the Cloverfield Paradox accidentally bleed into those universes. And that's why, which is why I'm not entirely mad at the Cloverfield Paradox? I mean, I think it's a horrible movie. I think it's a horrible way of trying to retcon a sense of continuity across these three films. Oh my god, it's been a decade. Here's the thing, It's though. been a fucking decade. I and did this not is, care And this is for, what they give well, yeah. as an explanation? Like, True. this is stupid. But I didn't care for Ted Cloverfield Lane's way of connecting to the previous film. So I'm okay with this anthology-like structure where if they're just going to say the only reason why these are all quote-unquote connected is because they're all just shared universes merging together. But I'm not even a fan of that. I'm really not a fan of that sort of explicit reasoning as to how this functions in an anthology. I'm not saying I, w- I needed a reason. Yeah, I, I wish it, it was... I wish that... J.J. Abrams and whoever is making an installment in the Cloverfield series would be more... I wish they would have more... Balls. I'll just I'll just say it. It's like, I wish they had more balls to actually like just stick to the, the, the idea of this being an anthology series, not trying to explain it to everybody. Let everybody just... just, just twist on the vine as to how these things connect and rather just like use it as a, as a leap point to sort of play thematic leapfrog from one another. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm totally, as far as the fat happened, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but no, but at the end of the day, I just, here's the thing. I still personally think that Titan Cloverfield Lane is the best movie of these three. Mm-hmm. I, I like both one and two. Uh, I prefer two. But I'll say this. This movie makes me appreciate everything before the last 15 minutes of Titan Cloverfield Lane a lot more because I genuinely think 
unlike this movie. It's a good movie. On like J.J. Abrams found a good movie and was like, oh, I need to repurpose that, you know, whatnot. Whereas here, he just found a space movie and was like, I bet that can fit in the Cloverfield universe. Which is basically what happened, right? Right. Because this was yeah, no, no. I mean, it was, it was a whole other movie yeah. and whatnot. Um, and it also amplifies... And I say this as someone who likes Ten Cloverfield Lane, but what you said, it also amplifies what I hated about the last fifteen minutes of that movie, which is that, like, just leave, in my opinion, these decent movies alone. Now, I'm not necessarily calling the Cloverfield paradox decent, but if I do wish I could have seen an alternate cut in which it didn't have to tie into Cloverfield Lane, I don't think it would be that much. But what do you have? What, what do I don't I, think we would have. Would this film ever have been like? Oh, would I have? Released? I thought you said, "What do you have?" Like, would it have been? Would, well, would it have been released? Slash, no. would it have? Been, I mean, no. would no, have been I mean, made apparently, maybe, right? But would no, it, it would like, have been. Uh, although, how they get this cast? If that's they, the thing. Like, that's, it's that's, such a weird. It's a paradox, right? It's yeah. like by virtue of making this movie, it almost was going oh, to destined well, a... to be. A Cloverfield movie, but how did it get made and well, repurposed it, to be watch, a Cloverfield movie it, if it never was in the first place? You have to watch it next to the original, that's true. side by side, no, that's true, frame by frame. Yep, and it will all make sense nope. for your stupid brain. Nope. Oh boy, nope. I rhymed there like Doctor Seuss. Man, yeah, I wish uh, Tucson. I wish we had a. I wish Cloverfield was just giant monsters. I wish we just wheeled. I wish we, there were no monsters, and this was just wheeled this bag a bunker and, survival story and a weird quantum physics movie. And yeah. a, if you just want to watch large monsters, go see Hente. the second Pacific Rim film. No, I'm not going to do that. I actually watched the uh, the trailer for that uh, a second shit, a second that looks a, a second time, and it was already. <laughs> Already, <laughs> I oh. fucking hate that song so much. I feel bad because it like... makes me. It makes me feel in. I, I never. I never thought I would say this. That song makes me want to just like curl up into my chair. And I'm just like, oh my god, I feel so embarrassed. Me black right now. <laughs> it's in the. Uh, I know. What, I don't uh, know. Yeah, it just says "War Ready" over and over. Yeah, yeah. and then it, and then it, it goes okay. into like a like a remix of a Tupac song. I'm just like oh. remix. Okay, so here's the 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 worst thing about it. Not the worst thing because it just looks just god awful. So I feel really bad for John Boyega because this is his first real starring role since. Star Wars. No, he was in Attack of the Block. It was a good since, movie. Since oh, Star since, Wars. Yeah. This is his first like big chance in Star Wars. Right. And he has to be the guy who replaced Charlie Hunnam because he wasn't interested. Who the fuck is Charlie Hunnam? Exactly. Oh. He's a guy from Sons of Anarchy. Oh, I don't from Undeclared. That. He's also in Crimson Peak. He's also nope, in the good. original Pacific Rim. <laughs> Anyways, that movie looks like shit. It does. Tucson, why don't you give us your rating for The Cloverfield Paradox? My rating for The Cloverfield Paradox um, is... I really want you to say, this like... should not be that hard. No, I really want you to say, like, a one and a three. It is a one out of five. That might it, be the lowest rating you've ever gave a film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a... It's a duck's a, it's a It's a shit film. It's really bad. Um, 
don't watch it. I mean, you're going to watch it if it's on Netflix and yeah. you're bored one Sunday. And well, everybody watched Bright, so why wouldn't they? I watch mean, I didn't this? watch Bright, but like, yeah, but you know, oh, you got to support your people. I don't need to support <laughs> what the orc people. I'm not going to support the orc or the fairy people. Okay, no. I love that Tussaud would. He went there first yeah. instead of Will Smith. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't claim him. I, no. I'm more with the orcs. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, this. I the, talked to a coworker today. Oh, <laughs> We're going somewhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. And she's never going to listen to this, so I can mm-hmm. tell this story. But um, she's uh, Latina, and she right. randomly was talking to me because I had to train her. One of the duties she does okay. now is something I used to do. So mm-hmm. she always comes to me about certain questions. Mm-hmm. And so she randomly said to me today, So I talked to my people, and I said, Oh, like Mexicans? And she's like, No, I, I met the, the students that are taking this class. <laughs> She laughed. Oh, Good. Lord. Good. That's just the kind of fun I have at work. <laughs> um, this is why I, I can never lose this job because I've been there for like 10 plus years and like I just don't think I'd be tolerated anywhere else. <laughs> That's how I feel about my work because some of the worst things I've ever heard people say I've heard at my workplace, yeah. which you feel like shouldn't be the case, but yeah. there it is. So anyway. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Why would you say the phrase "my people"? <laughs> you're just asking to be prejudiced against. Wow! Now you're blaming her. Yeah, oh my God. I will. All right. Um, what do you mean, my people? So, chlorophyll paradox is bad. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? What's your rating? Uh, I gave it one and a half out of five. Okay, um, stepping it up a little bit. Eh. Solely because that's usually my like basement rating. Yeah. Uh, I physically enjoyed some moments of the film, which uh, there are a few films that I I don't, so I gave them the lowest rating possible. But most films, even that I really don't care for, this is really the bottom. Um, And, yeah, I didn't care for this. I liked the inclusion of the Cloverfield monster, but I feel like the execution of it was a disaster in a bad way. Um, and it just, the whole package just did nothing for me. And, um, yeah, a lot of good actors and actresses just wasted David Aliawo, who's, uh, had quite a few good roles, including, um, Selma and a most violent year, uh, among other films, uh, was completely wasted here as the throwaway black commander, uh, who gives this weird speech and then walks off into the abyss and closes the door? So he yeah, that's that scene is bullshit because she it. even says that you could you could close that door remotely and he's like, no, nah, there's this is the only way. No, yeah. no, I'm telling you that there's literally a way that you can do this. Like, no, I got to do it. And like, like, I don't no. want to be in this film anymore. Yeah. I have to go and die. What's he weird fucking, is, he, is he Riggs from Lethal Weapon? Yeah, probably. I'm tired of shit. Yeah. See, what's weird is that's done in so many space movies, you know, at some point somebody has to sacrifice themselves by removing themselves from the equation. But you don't give them an out, like a perfectly yeah. good out. Yeah, I guess in, in space nobody can hear you have horrible plan Bs. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that happens all the time. But here, it's so funny. It's like the writers know that it happens all the time, so they're just like, Close, he closed the door, but she's like, what? He's like, no, no, it's all good. I got to go. Like, it just happened in that matter of, and yeah, it's just yeah. really fucking weird. But a lot of wasted uh, good actors and actresses here. I, I just mentioned him. Also, Danielle Brule, Elizabeth Debicki, um, among others. So, 
it's a shame, but also this is a movie that nobody would have given a shit about if it really didn't have Cloverfield's name attached to it and if it didn't premiere immediately following the Super Bowl. So I think that says all we need to know about movie promotions in the year 2018. Moving on to Nick. Thank you so much, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, I give this movie a half star out of five, which is my lowest rating. Um, and I got to say that it is very bad. It um, is taking everything that I love and is defecating down the throats of everything I stand for. I was, really quickly, yeah. I was going to say that it is slowing it, but that would be disgracing the name That's of yeah. The Marquis de Sade <laughs> wrote that novel on a scroll in prison, okay? It's fucking dedication. De Sade would not even in, like inflict this kind of tripe on you. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and he wants... Yeah, you mean shit, and he, but you're not going to watch the... No, literally. I'm not going to do that to you, De, De Sade literally wrote a deleted passage to his own novel in which he depicts one of the tortures being that a pipe gets inserted into a woman's vagina, a rat is entered into the pipe, so that way the pipe goes through... or The rat goes through the pipe into the woman, and then they sew the vagina shut so that the rat... Has to eat its way out. No, just eats everything in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that sounds more appetizing than this movie. <laughs> wow. God damn. Damn. Appetizing. That is, uh... Mm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Oh. <sighs> damn. Those deleted scenes, they just reveal so much. No, literally. It's, uh... <laughs> I'm not talking about the movie. The, the, the novel, his oh. own novel... At the very end of his novel, he has a section. Here are some tortures that I I was not able to work into the main text of my own narrative, like yeah. because it's own deleted. It's great. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm sure that's up to opinion, but right, it tickled me. That's what she said. Fuck. Oh man, this is going to bad place. It's a bad movie. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Ah, oh, my people. Hmm. So. I think everyone said what they needed to say about the Cloverfield Paradox. And if you out there have any other opinions, actually, if you liked the Cloverfield Paradox... um, Shut the fuck up. Tell us why we're wrong. I was going to take a different direction there. I was going to tell anyone who liked it or didn't like it that they can get a hold of us at filmtankshow at gmail.com and tell us how you felt about the film... Uh, so the other film you could contact us about, and we're going to tell you our feelings about right now, is the new Alex Garland film, which is Annihilation. Annihilation. Yeah. So this film uh, has really been on all of our radars for probably two years now, I would say. Right. Oh, yeah. Ever since uh, pre-production was announced, there's been interest, mm-hmm. um, and there have been various degrees of the three of us knowing the story uh, regarding this, as this is a three-book series. This film is based off the first book of a trilogy called The Southern Reach by... I was going to say, but the, the book series is a trilogy. The book series is a trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. Okay. Um, at any rate, so Alex Garland was obviously the pole here, mm-hmm. for at least for us. Uh, as he previously directed Ex Machina. And this film stars Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, 
Also, here are Sonia Mazuno, Gina Rodriguez, Tuna Novotny, and also Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Yeah, making his triumphant return after Ex Machina, again with Alex Garland. Yep. And he's done many other things in between, including two Star Wars films. He played... Uh, he played a Power Ranger villain in an X-Men film and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Ivan Ooze. Yeah. Otherwise known as Apocalypse. Yeah. So anyways, Annihilation centers around a biologist who signs up for a dangerous secret expedition where the laws of nature do not apply. That's not great. That's interesting. So, Tuzan started us off with Cloverfield Paradox, and I would say he should start us off again, as this is definitely uh, something that is in his wheelhouse. Yeah, so, definitely. Go right ahead. I mean, I'm kind of going off of what Alex said. Is like I've been looking forward to this film since it was first announced that Alex Garland was going to be working on it, but also because you know I am I haven't read the entire southern reach trilogy but i had read the first two books and i do very much enjoy jeff vandermeer and knowing that um alex garland was going to be taking the material from the first film i mean from the first book and turning it into a film i was really interested to see what it was that he was going to like bring to that initial concept mostly because it, it's 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 somewhat daunting to think about adapting uh, annihilation into a film because it's only like it's a very very short like novel it's like a, it's like a nova, novella it's like like when i read pages. that yeah so someone who hasn't read it and right. then just went and saw the movie and mm -hmm. then i was like oh this was a short book yeah it was a very very short book but the i i think that what is most interesting to me about the nature of this film as it relates to the um the original book is a it's actually a comment that alex garland talked about with writing about the script he says like you know when he was reading this, it felt like a very much, a, very much like a dream-like experience, and that's really what Annihilation is. It's very much a fugue. It's all about like you're not really sure of whether your senses are are trustworthy or not. And so he was more of along the lines like I'm not adapting the book. I'm more of adapting sort of like the dream of like having read this book. So he didn't go back and reread it. He sort of like wrote the script from remembering sort of the broad strokes of like the arc of these characters moving through these, this space and like introducing other elements that's sort of built off of um, off of themes that were inherent in the, in the original book. So I actually really enjoyed this as, as an adaptation because I feel like it, it is not so divergent that I feel like I am watching two totally different stories, but it is just different enough to add to add something to this, to that, add I, that to but also distinct itself from. Right, yeah, because the 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 original book is more about like a post Anthropocene uh, piece of fiction that is talking about. It, it it doesn't really offer any answers as to what is going on in Area X. There is no such thing as the Shimmer. Like it, it's called the Shimmer in this film, but really it's. it's I you meant in real life. I was going to say no shit, Sherlock. No, but in the in the film, like it's called the Shimmer. In the book, it's just called the Border to Area X. They just call it about Area X. There's no explanation as it to being alien or anything like that. It's really more of just like this unknown, this unknown force of nature that is sort of reclaiming its territory. Versus this, hmm. where it's more of like... Yeah, because this has like an otherworldly realm to it. Yeah. You know, it, as it, far as like when you're outside of it, you can see right. 
where it stands, so right. to speak. Whereas what you're describing sounds more of like a you don't realize you're in it until you've gone too far. Yeah, so to speak. yeah. Like there, there's a there's a clear demarcation of entering right. from from the world as we know it into Area X, but like it's it's something more subtle, like a tree line. It's yeah, it's it's way way more subtle than that. Um, I mean, I I enjoyed the fact that it retained the the quality of it being a all female uh, expedition. There are some major divergences, like such in the fact that in the book they're not allowed to have technology. They have like a, a sort of like a sort of because warn- they're females. Well, no, because oh. like in the actual book, like Area X is something that is that has been going on for a while now, and that the United States government is aware of it, and they're formerly been at least like 11 expeditions before this and they represent the 12th expedition where it's just like the variable of like okay now we're going to send in all women no equipment other than maybe uh like a couple of like that sounds like they're off fuck it like run <laughs> it is kind of like is. okay we need a 12th run while we get ready for the 13th so uh <laughs> it is, you it know is. what uh do we have any female lying around also you know what we don't want to waste this good tech so yeah well, let's try one no, without the, the tech the, to see if something happens no the reason and they why, all need to either be alcoholics or have cancer so. well, the reason why they or didn't have tech was because <laughs> they they weren't able to much like in in the film like they're not able to actually like retrieve any sort of like footage from it yeah um it just sort of like start starts and stops um, and this movie would not like exist without tech, right? I mean, it's literally the expedition before the one that we get to watch mm-hmm. only survives as a memory because of tech, right? Yeah, because in in the book, those sort of memories, those, those sort of recollections, they're not exactly the same. Yeah, they are more conveyed through like a pile of of like, journals that uh, they happen upon that actually alludes to the fact that. Um, Something about the number of these expeditions is not actually on the up and up that somebody's being lied to. That sounds like a video game. Like, can you find all the uh, dire- no. diary No, entries? no, no. There's, oh, look, there's one on this random bookshelf. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like shitty video game environment. It's starting to make it sound kind of like the Jumanji film that just came out. I have never seen that. Um, the new one? No, I've never uh, seen that. Oh, not... man, you're missing out. Uh, I don't know if I am. Um, I would first of all, agree with your sentiment. We so. call it Numanji because it's the new one. That's great. That's that's perfect. Thank you, Nick. But when there's a third one, we'll just call it two bunch. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And um, because it was made in Hollywood, we call it Jumanji. Oh, that's great. Oh, wait. I that's the name that. of the movie. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. It's Thank the new you. Woody Allen film. That's <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I thought that was different. Natalie Portman is okay in this film. She's, she will not be in the new Woody Allen film. She is just okay. Oh, I never say never. She is just okay. I don't know. She um, had a really firm... Stance against male directors at the Golden Globes. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, totally ruined Guillermo del Toro's speech. Yeah. yeah, Natalie Portman is. She's okay. She she is okay. Damn, Natalie, you a crazy chick. Go <laughs> shut the fuck up and suck my dick. She doesn't say that in this in this. No, film. but she rapped it once. What I, what and I, I will always be in debt to what that. I, what I find interesting about this film, in relation to at least her character, is that the first the the, the the, the the book itself is about, like, eco-apocalypse, right? Versus, I think, this film is more focusing on the aspect of not annihilation or even suicide, but self-destruction. Like, self-destruction is a huge part of this entire um, of the, of this entire film. That's house. what a lot of people have said, and I'm curious if you can explain that a little bit. Or, like, as to where you – because that did not really occur to me. I and see – I see still it. doesn't really, like – 
like a light bulb hasn't gone off in my head. Okay, I, so, so when you have when you have the first scene where it's like this meteorite who cr- that crashes into this into this lighthouse, right, and it exerts this sort of field, this shimmer, right, and they go into it and they realize that the shimmer is not just refracting light or like like radio waves or anything like that, and that's not, the, not just the reason why they're not able to send out any sort of signals, but it's literally acting as a refractory force on a cellular level. Like it's just it's plant DNA, it's animal DNA, it's human DNA. It is fundamentally changing the building blocks of what makes a human being a human being. What makes these things distinct and sort of like coalescing everything into sort of like this this codependent like like ecosystem. There's no separation between the the inhabitants and the the environment that they they live in, right? And when you think about when you when you when you when you look at it, you think it's almost apocalyptic, right? It's like it seems like the the world is going to be swallowed up by this force. But the thing about an apocalypse is that it's not just the destruction of everything that happened before, like that's that's the popular interpretation of what that word means. But it also signals not just the destruction of everything, but also the beginning of something new. And I feel like it. The reason why why the film opens up, at least with her scene, where it's talking about cells that are sort of like breaking apart and regenerating, is that something. Something is ending and something is is beginning out of that. That even comes out of that that one song that she's listening to when she's trying to uh, paint uh, her, 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 her bedroom. Her, her bedroom. It's like I, 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 I looked up what the name of that song was. It was like like they are they are one person, they are two alone, they are three together, they are four for each other. So it kind of like follows up that that principle of like cellular regeneration, but it's like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the fact of you have to destroy something in order to, you have to destroy who you were in order to move on to who you might become after that. And that, okay. then that seems threatening in a lot of ways. You think, you think that the shimmer is, is an invasive alien force that is trying to just corrode and, and, and devour everything. But actually the, the shimmer is just behaving by its own nature, it's not malicious. It is it is simply like acting out by what it is. Yeah. It only seems threatening in that it it threatens the status quo of everything that has come before. It only seems like an apocalypse by the vantage point of the people who are looking at it. I, okay, I could see that, especially because I do like that. I think even a character remarks on it. Yeah. Later on, toward the end of the film, where they basically kind of acknowledge the idea that just because the creatures have their own quote-unquote agendas and whatnot. Like, you can't mistake their actions and impulses for being an omnipotent, whatever, like, other being. Like, and that is, like, they're just a cog in nature the Mm -hmm. same way that they are in uh, not being able to resist, like, exploring this and seeing what they can gain from it. Because in a lot of ways, they don't need this piece of land, from what I understand. Like, they just need to study it because it obviously perplexes them. So right. I'm not saying that that doesn't make sense. But it's not like there are people trapped in there. Uh, they pretty much kind of pretty they, much say that they know that everybody dies in there. No, yeah, they, I, I they thought, presume that everybody dies in well, there. Well, and that they've evacuated everyone that was in right. the Right. It just seemed like they don't need to go back it. in there other than just being – Man, and I mean well, that in a, in a realistic no, way. Like it's also just man's hubris to it, try to it, get it, to the they, center. They have a red herring in this film where they talk about – the psychologist talks about how there was the warden of the of the lighthouse who went back in there. And I was almost expecting him to like make a return because – spoiler – in the book, the actual like warden of the lighthouse is actually a prominent figure. Um, okay. 
of the book. I don't even remember that line though. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very it, it, it's sort of like a wink and you'll miss it sort of okay. sort of line. But uh, yeah. So when the original explanation of what is occurring within the shimmer mm-hmm. uh, and how it is growing, the the feel I get is that it's going to eventually grow at an get exponential bigger. rate. Yeah, like it's going to consume the earth. It, it, yeah. like it, it'll take it. It'll take it. You know, six years to reach a state, but then it'll only take it six months to get the I, rest. Of the right. Earth. Yeah. I agree, man. Now I'm remembering them saying that it started so big, and mm. you know, it only right. gets slight. So I, I guess that is another pressing reason. Mm-hmm. But as far as to just like the definition of insanity to to keep doing the same thing over and over, um, there's there's some kind of hilarious commentary I think on man's hubris because I do think this movie is kind of absurdly not funny haha but there are some moments when i thought that this movie is very in a good way aware of its uh dark nature that's not exactly dramatic but sometimes just kind of comical Mm -hmm. in that man can't help but sometimes look like a fool in its don quixote quest for trying to parse through something that it doesn't understand that is entirely inexplicable to them yeah that being said, yeah. why don't you continue on with oh, your initial thoughts, yeah. Nicholas? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, well. Um... The Continental Breakfast. <laughs> continental. Continue. Oh, it's a nice hotel. <laughs> um, I, if you were I, a hitman. Yeah. Oh. I am right down the middle with this movie. Yeah. Um, I'd never read the book, so I was definitely going into this completely blind um, as far as I had no idea what it was going to be about. Yeah. Even, like, the trailers I barely paid attention to because I already knew I was going to go see it, you know, because Alex Garland and whatnot. Right. So, I got to say, this on a first viewing did not really engage with me. Now, I'm willing to revisit it and engage with it because I liked a lot of what it has to say and what it has to do. But on a first pass, it felt a little too totally mismatched. Um, one thing that I probably even upon rewatch, we'll never get comfortable with, as I thought that the framing device was very stupid. Um, the whole her being interviewed by uh, Benedict Wong's character? Yeah. yeah. Um, I felt like, especially by the end of the movie, that that was a completely unnecessary framing device. Like, I, I just don't even understand the point of those scenes. Um yeah, it's, and there's it's not like there are other things that I may not really care for in this movie, but I totally understand. But those there's a reason why that scene is happening because they talk about how she's been in there for I don't know how long she's been there for like four months it seems right. From, like from I mean, the they make a comment right, but like why did they have to happen when they were like did he only move them to the forefront because he didn't want to end the movie because he didn't want to tell it chronologically and have to end it anywhere other than the scene that he ends it. And if that's the reason, then in my opinion, that's a weakness of the script. You either have to find a better presentation of such things or, you know, own up to it and, you know, write that ending a little more tighter than, you know, you, you, I don't know. It just, it did not like that did not work for me. There's no tension in those scenes for me because we, a have no idea what she's getting into, which, okay, fine. But we B also know it's like a, a paradox because <laughs> we also know that she'll survive it. And now I'm not saying that first time watch because I'm a spoiler lover. Like I does she survive it? Oh, well, okay. F- just fuck the hmm? 
no, just hold on. Like, put aside interpretation. Mm-hmm. We know that she, a, a version that of That somebody her, is there. Right. I mean, right. I'm just saying, we know that something is going to leave the shimmer and be answering those questions. Mm-hmm. Like, just go with that line of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just those scenes just made no sense to me. And not on a logic level, but just as to why they were even there in the first place. Because I didn't grasp anything from those scenes. Mm-hmm. And... Not only that, but then the placement of them only made them more tedious and boring being so upfront and yeah. not after. Can yeah. I say that I actually slightly disagree with your okay. reading of it? Yeah. For the most part, because I feel like... I mean, you're Benedict Wong, but... It's fine. <laughs> I... No. Continue, I'm Alex. That. Uh, at any rate... Benedict <clears throat> Wong. Yeah, that was a good one. Thank you. That's... You, wasn't yeah anyways you're a good natalie sportsman <laughs> continue alex I'm, I'm trying sorry. but i'm sorry boy anyway. puns just keep coming yeah, i'm so sorry anyway and the oscar isaac goes to okay i'm i'm done now now it's just <laughs> it's getting really so fucking, random. fucking pissed at you right now continue alex i am being such a tessa thompson <laughs> just watch you. anyway yeah. i'm good uh-huh uh, so, I feel like the enormity of the destruction of the Shimmer warrants her being almost placed in front of a bizarre tribunal that like Benedict... A cabal. Won. No, I mean... Okay. I mean, the, But why the, do we have to sit through those scenes when we have no context for them? Like, that's just what Because I, that's, at least to me, okay. part of the part of so the hook did, did, of, of what okay. the... the the rest of the film is, is that we have her character and we have multiple parts that are at least somewhat appealing to me. Like the idea of her having the tattoo on her arm that comes from the other character uh, that we see earlier in the film. Uh, and we have uh, what I'm much more interested in, which are all of the people, which I was referring to as a tribunal, that are standing outside that are almost like surrounding this, trying to find out what happened. Yeah, um, they're I, observing I, so, the uh, yeah, debriefing. I, I feel like... The actual actions of the scenes are really good, but probably the execution of just Benedict Wan just asking questions and that kind of stale reoccurrence. I was gonna say is, it was kind more... of an awkward staging because yeah. he just stands in front of her, like like, like, like a T, almost yeah, like a T pose and like a video like, game. Like he hasn't been he hasn't been animated yet. Like, it just felt like those scenes were not you know put in the log for rehearsal because right. they were so minute. Yeah. So then when they came to actually film them, they just had no idea how to actually make them. I, I will say one thing yeah. that uh, one part of those scenes that that again I didn't hate them, but but I I, I guess I would agree with you at least in the term that. They could have been done better. Um, the idea that uh, the cancer of um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. Yeah, her character is kind of uh, expositioned in in that. I'm just like, oh, that's Yeah, that's how crazy. did you know she had cancer? Yeah, oh, I knew from the moment we... I know, which which yeah. which, which uh, actually does somewhat of a cardinal sin because you actually make the audience feel stupid then for not noticing it. Uh, well, you didn't so, know so, she had cancer? Yeah. Well, I know. This movie opened with her. So that's why I don't understand. Like, I, that's that exposition could have came out in any other way. I mean, it, so, um, okay, I'll say one more thing about those scenes and then just wrap my opening thoughts, which is that the only other reason why those scenes stick out to me in a way that I keep harping on is because I agree with Toussaint in that this is a very 
uh, fugue-like mm-hmm. uh, movie, and I'm all for those kinds of movies, uh, especially in such a hard sci-fi realm, mm. so to speak. Um, but the uh, the workmanlike way that those scenes kept coming back, which there weren't that many, I'll admit, which is also why it was awkward, because I thought we were just going to have to keep coming back to it, which would have had a more of a through line mm. as to why we were revisiting this interview, but whatever. Um, but every time this movie wanted to draw me into the dreamlike nature of the shimmer, I was then pulled out of it to remind myself that this is a movie and it has its own structure that differs from the ebb and flow of the shimmer in and of itself. I thought this would have been just much stronger if the shimmer itself could have gone uninterrupted. You look at the scene in which they first enter the shimmer and how later it cuts to black and then they wake up and they've been there for four days. Like right. That was one of my favorite transitions. Right. We and never it, really get that again. No. In the film. no. And, I, and I thought there was going to be a... You sort of get that, but it's never, it's never as, that explicit. As, as effective. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and I don't mean explicit as in like having the characters say it, but right. it's never that explicit as to where the audience can at least try to latch on to mm-hmm. that disorientation. Well, because they're too busy trying to figure out that Jennifer Jason Lee is cancer. That's so. true. Yeah. Um, but just imagine something like that being like if, if you shoved one of those interrogation scenes in between that transition, that's what I mean by as far as I just didn't quite care for the device. It's mm-hmm. not that I did dislike those scenes that much, mm-hmm. but the way we kept coming back to that. But uh, yeah, yeah. What did, what did you think about? Um, because it's not just the framing device of the the debris thing, but there's also the framing device of her with the. No, it's not a framing like the device. The, the flashback with that with felt her more realistic with her and the 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 professor and her husband. Yeah, no, that. Yeah. Um, like it's not so much like I'll even admit that I didn't really love those scenes, but. Yeah. Those scenes made complete sense to me because those are not in the book, by the way. That's that's just okay. a contrivance from the. I, I yeah. kind of see that because, right. um, from a cinematic standpoint, I love the ambiguity as to whether she's calling them or if she is being induced into them. Like I, I kind of like oh. the idea that the shimmer might have, and this is just an interpretation, mm-hmm. not some kind of. Right. Whatever, but the idea that being under the influence of the shimmer in and of itself can connect you with certain beings that are already in the shimmer itself, because we know that one of the Oscar Isaac's bodies is uh, obviously laying charred in the lighthouse, right. and that like almost like a beacon is being projected to her, mm-hmm. and so I I was I had no problem with that back and forth because a it made sense on a character level because. That's the whole reason why she's in there mm. is to find out what happened to that and whatnot. And B, it just it it made the whole thing feel creepier in a way that the framing device of the other thing just didn't. Overall, I think this is a giant mess, which means I want to see it again. Like I like parts of it, I didn't like parts of it, but my first viewing, I couldn't quite bridge the gap between the art house short film Mm -hmm. at the end and the I thought fairly typical jungle exploration movie with a bit of sci-fi thrown in that precedes it I felt like the creature feature parts of it kind of overtook any real nuance of uh exploring the psychosis of what it would be like to be in the shimmer yeah like I like like Alex said I never had a moment 
again recapture the excitement I had in the very beginning of the Shimmer when they said that they were asleep for four days or whatever mm-hmm. from that point on. Because, when all their rations are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because I really thought, like, it was just going to get worse from there. Mm-hmm. Like, it was going to get more trippy. But well, for the most part, doesn't it's she, crazy. Doesn't she even say at some point that that happened, that it only got more like the further you get in, like it the further yeah. you get in the... that you see more mutations and yeah. more which, ways. but, but which, we don't I, I guess that's true but i feel like i was wanting to see some fucked up shit when we got towards the end right and, and we got like end. sharks and yeah no you, and... you you got you got alligators with shark teeth <laughs> you got alligators you got you got <laughs> paddington the bear that looks like a, oh. like a fucking well, don't pa- disgrace paddington no like that's that. literally yeah. the code name that they made for that 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 character, like the the, oh, the, yeah. the creature, is was called Paddington Aww. in 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 post production, um, and then you've got like these crystalline uh, like salt trees, and then you have uh, the uh, you have human the, plants. You have the deers with the flower antlers. Yeah, oh, yeah. you've got yeah, the that humanoid. Felt like straight out of like something like NBC's Hannibal, which I really love. Um, I thought, all but the they ba- kind of did it first on broadcast TV, no less. Yeah. The, so. the worst part about all of that, and I think one of the weakest parts uh, of the final product, is that all of the cool stuff was in the trailer. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I wish there. I hate. I don't want to sound like a plebeian, but I, I wish that there were more monsters in this film. I want to see more. I don't fuck, mind. Monster. I want to see more fucking fucked up bear kind of like cause, because I agree. because that scene where where um the the one character who was murdered by this bear, her voice is now somehow modulated into yeah. in, into that bear. Like that was an that, awesome that's a turn. Great idea. That revealed like that, that that actually compounded on the revelation of the nature of this place. It was yeah. it was it was linked to that. And I'm I'm with you there and I totally it's not that I'm bashing the monster part, the creature feature, but I just felt like that like I said, there's just such a mismatch of tones here from a apocalypse now esque jungle fever movie to a creature feature film to the under the skin kind of wannabe nature of the final art house. I want to talk more about that that final scene too. We'll go to Alex's opening thoughts. The last thing I'll randomly say is that uh, one scene I wholeheartedly love, uh, just to end it on a positive note, is the scene where they're all tied up by um, Gina Rodriguez's character. Her death, even though I liked her character a lot and I kind of wish she was in the movie a little more. was very visceral. But it was a great death and that was one of the few times when I thought the creature feature was really working the horror up aspect. Like if it was just that, like if that's all this movie had to offer, but like frame to frame, I would have been very on board for that kind of craziness. But anyway, I just love that sequence. Nice. I enjoyed it as well. Continue. Yeah, uh, this film uh, was more. Uh, my feelings are more in line with Nick's than uh, than unfortunately they. I wish they would have been because uh, I loved Ex Machina and I thought it was one of the more well done uh, sci fi thrillers that I've seen in quite a while uh, in the theater at least. Uh, and this film was really just kind of there for me for the most part. There were a lot of interesting moments throughout, but the sum of the parts just wasn't adding up to me start to finish. Uh, And I will say, and I I mentioned this to you guys both times, and I think this is one of the more interesting parts of this, but this film really does end up at the exact same place that Ox Machina ends up at, (laughs) which is just that, oh, the... 
the creatures have gotten out of their cage and they are now in the world and shit. It, it, well, and the thing though is, a you're right, but b it's also a lot of it's where a lot of its peers end. It's mm-hmm. always this like, oh, you thought you were safe, but actually the thing that you thought was hiding is actually right there in plain I mean Alien Covenant does a similar thing I was going to say Alien Covenant even something which is not the same realm but you mentioned earlier so spoilers for it but another earth like the idea that those two could meet on the same plane of existence you know mm-hmm. that kind of like let's end it here in a way so that audiences have to gr- uh, grapple with the idea of like who can they trust and who's real and who's not. Yeah, it's more just because it's Alex Garland's next film and it's right. like, oh, that's all you got. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, uh, I did quite enjoy the scenes involving uh, Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac just because of the the simpleness of, of their scenes. I actually want to... two good-looking people. That's actually true. Yeah. Um, uh, they are. goes a long way. They uh, are two people alone. They are three. three uh, the, the the tone and the uh, the actual way that the scenes are presented, I actually feel like is very uh, comparable um, to the sort of flashback scenes that we see in a film from 2017 called A Ghost Story. Uh, the scenes that involved Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. That were you're just getting a it's funny to compare this a slice of their relationship hey. uh, because you're not getting this real plot heavy thing it's, you're just getting small snippets of what their lives were like. It's together. a good depiction of what a character chooses to remember that's mm-hmm. not in service of what the audience needs to know. Mm-hmm. Which you know it's kind of like what you would actually remember, which is that one moment that for whatever reason sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I enjoyed that part of it just because they're at least from the first pass through, it was just to show the audience who these people were without like, oh, here is her thinking about cheating on him and here is him thinking about becoming an alien. Like, there's no plot driven, at least the first time I I watched the film progress uh, on the screen. Um, I have to say that Daisy Domergue's character, I actually did not really care for at all. Um, I, I thought Jennifer Jason Lee didn't give a bad performance, but I thought her character was really I felt really like she weak. was giving the performance that, unfortunately, she was... She thought to bring to this. Yeah, like she was, like, you know, like her performance is kind of weird if we just mm-hmm. put it out on the table. It's very underacted mm-hmm. in a not... And not in a nuanced way, like, oh, they're not trying to act, they're trying to exist, or whatever. It's, it's this very statically bland uh, monotone of speaking and whatnot. Very uninvolved. Yeah. Very emotionally uninvolved situation. Right. Yeah. And that, in and of itself, lends her character to, in my opinion, sometimes it gets a little tedious, like when she's directing what's going to happen next. Uh, there, but, the only thing I really liked about her character was that she always seemed to be finding a way to stay behind all the other characters, almost like they are a front line, which yeah. is very interesting when you have the revelation, 
even though our dumbasses were supposed to realize this, that she has cancer, which should make her be the person who's out in front of this saying, well, I'm going to die anyways, but no, all you silly peasants will be protecting me so I can get to the lighthouse and, you know, win my Mario Kart game. Um, can I ask really randomly, <laughs> yeah. is the lighthouse as a fixture in the book? Yes. Or is it like a different no. center? Well, the thing that's interesting about the lighthouse is that the lighthouse is, is a fixture in the book, but it is not the most important fixture in the book. Okay. That it, this film actually conflates two different locations into one, kinda, yeah. where you have like the lighthouse and then you have the tower or the tunnel. That's sort of the contradiction of whether it functions as a tower or a tunnel, gotcha. which is interesting. Okay. I, the, I, I really wanted to ask about what your reactions are to the final act of this film, because I know that it is very... I peed myself. It is very divisive. It is very, what the fuck was that? So, um, really quickly, before we, we get to that, yeah, uh, I'll just close my yeah. opening remarks by yeah. saying that I was very on the fence with this film. I actually thought Natalie... Portman gave a very good performance here, um, and I actually liked all of her mates, uh, other than really um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh. Um, I thought everyone I else who was with her uh, delivered a solid performance that really fit into what this film was this trying to do. The female Ghostbusters movie I've been waiting for. Um, and uh, in terms of performances, uh, I'll say that Oscar Isaac was completely wasted here, and you could have had anybody else playing that role. Yeah, but, have, but it was Oscar Isaac. Yeah, it was so, it was fun. Yeah. so it was cute. Uh, but yeah, I, I had I had very much no real negative, positive feelings on this film. And you it's say it could have been anyone, but what if it was Boyd Holbrook? I think it would have had, for the most part, the same effect. <sighs> you son of a bitch, yep. Tucson. Continue on with what you were leading us into. So that final act, um, when she actually enters into the lighthouse, what did you guys think of that? Okay. I, if yeah. I can, really oh yeah, happy. please. I okay, that was a joke. Um, I liked her watching the footage of Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. Uh, her going, unfortunately, her going into the hole. Not that it's not been done a million times before but her seeing the black hole on the wall and going into it reminded me way too much of star wars the last jedi okay um, i mean I've, I've actually read comparisons to that too where like this this past year was just a year of women going into dark holes and seeing like horrible mirror images of themselves <laughs> um and i thought everything that happened when she went into the black hole was actually pretty fascinating uh, that was the for yeah. me, the only part of Jennifer Jason Lee that I was like, holy shit, this is why she's here. Like, yeah. this is a great part. Um, the fight between her and herself. Uh, was it a fight, though? That's fine. Before you say anything, the yeah. con- the don't con- say a word you saw it. The confrontation between her and her um, her mere self yeah. um, w- was okay, I guess. But at the same time... I don't think it had its desired effect on me personally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I I I liked that third act. The more I think about it, I, I think I'm more on the wavelength of you, Alex, when it comes to the the execution of the whole humanoid doppelganger thing. At least from like my first initial mm-hmm. impression, and then I came back to it again. I'm just like, uh, I, I see what they're I see where they're going at with this. Like, I what was the main attraction for me? Something that I was really excited for um, going into this film, having already read the book, was like I was looking forward to um, the book equivalent of, of that sort of scene where, like, the biologist goes into the tower, the tunnel, and actually confronts this 
this creature, this entity that is sort of analogous to what we encounter in the film with Jennifer uh, Lee's, Lee, Lee's character. With, with that, that, that sort of like floating, swarming, like fractal like presence, right? Mm-hmm. Because when I read that and I read what the equivalent of that was, it's not the same in the book. That was like one of the most psychotropic reading experiences I've ever ever read. Like I could not nail what the shape of the what the fuck was the shape of the thing that I was actually reading about. So I think that it sort of captured that tone, but it wasn't an, exactly a one to one. And I enjoyed that about it. Um, the humanoid uh, is actually played by Sonoya Mizuno, who you might actually know as. Uh, the other robot from Ex Machina. Oh, yeah. So, oh. That, so that whole dance scene is sort of like a, like a mirror of that that as well. Also, I didn't notice this at first, but she's also a character named Katie who actually talks to Natalie Portman at the conclusion of her first scene when she's like presenting to all these students. Mm. Stuff. That's the student that she's talking to. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's such a, a blink and you miss it sort of thing. Like, it's just like, I, I ironically, I thought she looked familiar. I had no yeah. idea that I thought it would have been Natalie Portman doing motion capture or something, no. but no. I, I didn't know that that's who. Yeah. But I did. So that, that ties that up. Yeah. Yeah. Toussaint. Mm-hmm. I'd like to offer something to the table here really quick. Yes, please. Um, could your admiration for this film, separate from it being like mm-hmm. a good movie, right. like just put that aside for a second, be accounted to the book? Having read no, the no, book, no, no, oh, no, yeah. no, separate from that too. Oh uh, no, it's something much more random and silly. I'm sure. No, but very specific to and like <laughs> I wanted to lean over to you and say this, but you would have had no idea what I was talking about. But did the fact that the last thirty minutes or so was like a live adaptation of Echo in any way subconsciously creeping into your mind? Oh, man. Uh... <laughs> Echo, for anybody who doesn't know, is a... It is a is it an indie? It, it is a independent sci, science fi, sci-fi action horror film. Science fi. Game, yeah. not Game. film. Yeah. Uh, in which you play a character who's going on a expedition, who's, you know, obviously... Uh, Looking for something. Looking for something in very barren structures, but comes across enemies who essentially mimic your action. So they can only fight in the style that you're fighting every time you pass through a new room. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, I don't know why, but I just got this vibe where I felt like... Like, I made a joke about the Blade Runner being the best Fallout adaptation of right, yeah, New Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And, but here, like, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I felt like this was a hilariously weird, like... Weird refraction of Echoes, yeah. like, Central Casino. And I know how much you love that. Yeah, so. I love that game. It's it's probably one of my favorite games of last year. But, like, I I didn't think about that. I was until, curious if it, it ever crossed your mind. No, not until you mentioned it. Are you going to, like, be able to unsee it now? I don't think I'm going to be able to unsee it now. Because okay. I'm just like, fuck, that is really on point. Um, but no, I, I, ah, I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. I have to, I have to sort of unpack that because, um, (laughs) like, like the whole, whole encounter with the humanoid, I, I, I see what Garland was going for is like, because this is sort of a study in self-destruction and self-hatred. So really that character, that humanoid only reacts in a way that, Natalie Portman's own character, like telegraphs yeah. in, a, in a sort of way. I'm pretty sure that if she just approached it and sort of nudged it out of the way, she could have just, she's just like, 
put yeah. her arms on her shoulders and then just could have like switch, it would have worked out fine. But no, she's got to like deck this motherfucker. Well, what I think is interesting about what Alex Garland depicts this final whatever as, yeah. much like Echo, which is why I was reminded of it, right. is that the this being, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. is not a mirror image. It's a it's an quote unquote echo, but it is a refraction of what came before. Right. So it's like your actions have a consequence that will not happen in real time, but unbeknownst, not unbeknownst, but uh, inadvertently, inadvertently cause moments that you are not involved with the moment you're actually doing these Mm -hmm. actions. And so that's what I, I was fascinated by it on a visual level. I'll say this, uh, that whole lighthouse sequence to me, Love the score. Right. The score like, was great. Yeah. It was like, really good. That was probably like my favorite thing in the entire movie, like whether it come down to the acting, cinematography, whatever, but the score in that moment was like mm-hmm. my favorite takeaway from this like movie. Like the, the sort of like swell. Yeah, the, it was like a weird mix of, of, like of a zither. And, right, yeah. and, um, but the way it went in and out of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it, it was like taking a Kubrick – Score and setting it through a chip t- auto chip tune auto tune yeah. decoder like it was just creepy yeah and I lo- I love that a lot um, but I will admit the visualization of this final battle whatever you want to call it yeah encounter didn't do a whole lot for me yeah I liked watching it and I was entranced by it mm. but. My biggest thought when I was watching it was, where was this earlier? Hmm. And, I, and I don't mean that literally. Like, I can understand the lighthouse as being a endpoint. But why is it the lighthouse has what I would consider cool, off-the-wall filmmaking, but everything outside the White, the White House? <laughs> Every, <laughs> everything outside of the White House? Everything outside the White House. No. Everything outside the White House is so much better than what's inside. That's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe this, maybe that's what this was a metaphor for. <laughs> Just the journey to the center of the White House. There's anyway, Donald, fucking, Donald, there's a, there's Donald Trump just burrow. Donald Trump just needs to handle hand Donald Trump a grenade, and that's what. To be what honest, he, he probably does spend more time looking in a mirror than he does like <laughs> looking at other people. So. Yeah, just jacking off. Ooh, um, we're gonna get him today. Anyway, get who? America. Them. Them. <laughs> Hey, he prefers non-gendered pronouns. Oh, yeah, he does. God damn it. Anyway. And McDonald's. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? But so that scene was a mixture of like I liked what I was seeing, but I also felt like I wanted more of it. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe too little too late at that point. Yeah. Um, but overall, like I don't have that much more to say in general, but like I want to see it again, even though I didn't love this movie. Agreed. Right. I agree. That scene sort of reminded me of the – the music video for the Chemical Brothers "Wide Open" featuring like Beck, okay, which is it, it, it's sort of ironic because it stars Sonoya Mizuno <laughs> dancing. I was just like, oh, I was like, this that kind of reminds me of that. Holy shit, that is her. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that that's, it, it 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 was very mesmerizing in its own way, but I just felt like it, and I, and I see what the what the purpose of it was, what what the intention of it was, and I appreciate. That intention, I think that the execution is a little bit off. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, two things. I have a comment right. about something mm-hmm. that happens very early in the film. Mm-hmm. And you have a complaint and a suggestion. No. I have a comment, and then I was going to lead that into um, some discussion we can just right. have. Yeah. 
Uh, so the comment is, I audibly giggled uh, at the opening moment when the meteor hits the lighthouse because mm. I thought that was one of the silliest things I've ever seen. Right. And I- it is a weird uh, amalgam of sci-fi icons, like signifiers. Like It's got a bit of the thing to it with yeah, the, well, with the mean, saucer like, touching there's down. There's a meteorite. Yeah. There's also a mythical place that happens to be a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, I mean, and we've just, seen that in the Matrix. We've right. seen that. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, oh, and it, the fact that it's like the opening scene, like it would have only been better if Morgan Freeman was narrowing being like, there was a time when Earth was a much simpler place, but then the asteroid came on and destroyed that whole now that you lighthouse. <laughs> now that you say this out loud, I actually, I'm, I'm with you because it felt like it would have benefited from something that Lars von Trier actually brought. <laughs> no, no, seriously, to Melancholia. If Lars von Trier would have directed that this movie, film. opens with a meteorite headed towards Earth. Yeah, it does. But the stylistic beauty and the fugue-like pacing of that opening sequence lends it to be something that transcend that, not trope, but that that image that we've all kind of seen before. Right, yeah. So, anyway. so anyways, getting that out of the way, yeah. Uh, yeah. when we get past the, the opening parts of, of Natalie Portman's character and we have her initial interaction, which I didn't necessarily notice that that was not actually the Oscar Isaac character where Nick said he noticed it right away. Uh, that it was, he didn't feel like that was the actual His demeanor human. just felt very, mm-hmm. yeah. But when we get to the actual interaction between the female characters who are on the expedition, right. what do you think about them, A, in their opening scene together at the picnic table, which I actually thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then, the meat cute. Hmm? What's that? The meat cute. Sure. Uh, and then uh, their actual progression throughout the rest of of the second part of this film. Because I actually felt like it got worse as it went on. Uh, and I enjoyed a lot of their interaction early on. But the more the conflict rose, the worse I felt the writing got. I think, personally, mm-hmm. that you're onto something in the sense that I don't think the movie as a document, so I can't speak for what the book does. Right, don't. But the movie as a text doesn't support itself enough to organically depict this rift that starts to grow between them. We can fill in the blanks that the craziness of this ecological nightmare Mm. is taking a toll on them. But when you start to circumvent your own interesting surrealness, like how we see the time lapse in the beginning, but then never really get a sense of that again. And how every time we're introduced to something, the movie itself basically moves on from that thing. Right. So like once we learn that something is possible, we never get an actual repeat, which to me repetition would be the kind of key to this kind of fugue like uh, uh, track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm with you in the sense that, the rift, I think it was less weak writing mm. and more, even, I think that's part of it, mm. but more of just that there wasn't a good enough build up to that because it got so distracted by trying not to explain, but to like, you know, like when you're on like a, like a, <laughs> I was going to say a tour bus, but I was actually going to say one the Wisconsin Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> when you're on the Wisconsin Ducks, yeah. When you're on the Wisconsin Ducks, no, uh, it's the, that's the, a very midwestern the tour Wisconsin bus. Dells Ducks. Yeah, that's what I, I you made it sound like. It's a sports team. The Wisconsin no. Ducks. No, but if anybody's been in the in the Wisconsin area and haven't done the Wisconsin Dell Ducks, you are missing out. They are. Right? 
it is oh, quite I did. fun to do. It is. It's, I mean, I did that when I was a kid. I was fascinated. For anyone who doesn't know, really quick, yeah. the Wisconsin Dell Duck Tours are basically you're in a vehicle that gets to go on land and in water. I was just going to say, when I was a kid, like a that duck. was one of the coolest things. Because I was like, this can be a boat and a car? Yeah. But you're doing that while, of course, like a tour bus, someone's giving a tour. What I was and that's getting, what this felt like. What I was getting to about the, the writing aspect of it was more a comment on the idea that uh, the actual relationship between Natalie Portman and the other women that she's with, um, obviously her probably most screen time is spent with Jennifer Jason Lee's character. Right. But the other female that she has the most interaction with throughout the entirety of the film is the one who gets killed off first, which yeah. is, I feel like a very interesting, maybe it is thematically relevant, but when you're actually just watching a plot line and dialogue progress throughout a film, at least when I was, I was like, Oh, well I guess we don't need to have no much about her yeah. because she's killed off first. But at the end of the but day, she very thankfully got all of her exposition out well, in that boat ride just before. But I feel like we knew the most about her yeah. of her and the other two uh, side characters. So it was kind I of agree. a real weird thing. And there's something to be said about the fact that like Tessa Thompson's character is weirdly one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. in this. But also, there's something of a an emotional cheat to having another character give her backstory mm-hmm. and then never truly getting to know her. Like yeah. she didn't have to obviously reiterate the story we already heard, but we never, after that, but offers more context yeah. too. After that, it felt like that was supposed to do the heavy lifting by the time mm-hmm. we get to her. So yeah. another thing, did you have anything to comment on about that? I saw? did have something I okay. wanted to okay. comment on just sort of as another aside that y- for all the complaints that you have about the writing in the second part of of the film with regards to the relationships of all these characters, mm-hmm. I just want to sort of emphasize that this is not something that I, – I, 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 I don't want that that assessment to be sort of undergirded with the, the thought of, well, I didn't read the book. The, the differences between the book and the movie are are pretty pronounced for the fact that Garland is not adapting the book literally. He says he was adapting the dream, the dream like his of memory uh, the, yeah. of the first book. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like, and so that's sort of like where the pleasure of, of watching this film comes out of. Like, I'm not just watching something. Just I be... think more people should do. Like, I when, wish when they're out. Yes, you know, when they're out to adapt a book, right? Like, yeah, sure. But it's like one of my all-time favorite books. Like, right. I can understand the. It's not canon. I, I can understand the loss sometimes. of like missing out on that opportunity of truly mm-hmm. dramatizing what you love. Right. But in general, we don't need, you know, scene for scene reenactment of books. No. Books have great ideas, and we can go from there. Yeah, that's all. It, 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 it's impossible to really accurately adapt the original novel. That's why I was so interested in seeing what Garland was going to do, because the original novel is told from an epistolatory, like first person perspective, where they never emphasize what their names are. They never tell each other what their names are. It all happens within Area X, and they're only referred to by their titles. Yeah. Like the biologist, the surveyor, the psychologist, yeah. like that sort of stuff. And that sort of like works in a, in a roundabout way of me trying to mention the whole sort of pseudo-controversy that surrounded this film. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But even sure. that doesn't yeah. really play into the movie. No, it doesn't. But continue. No, it, it doesn't. To explain to anybody who doesn't know what this is. Okay, so... 
The controversy that surrounds this film is the accusation of whitewashing when it comes to uh, the casting of Natalie Portman in the lead role because in the Southern Reach books, in the second book in particular, it is emphasized that the main character of the biologist is actually Asian American. Um, but what's what's in, what's interesting? To be fair. I mean, if Emma Stone can do it, why can't Natalie Portman oh, do it? Dear. Oh, dear. They should have casted Scarlett Johansson because she nailed that shit. Oh, true. dear. Um, see, here's, 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 here's the thing about that. It's new technology. Bre- breaking apart, like I said before, the first, the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy for Annihilation is told from a first-person perspective. None of the characters describes themselves or one another by their from the first person of of the biologist the okay. of the biologist never expresses who they are through their physical appearance, but rather through their utilitarian function right. to the actual expedition of themselves. Like the and survey, in, unless they look into a mirror, how are they supposed to know they're Asian American? There is no, there is no, there, there's nothing equivalent to that in I this. I just wanted to see Tucson's face. There, when there, said that. Yeah, there is no equivalent to that in this. Listeners, you can't see it, but let me just say it is glorious. I am. And not just because he's handsome, but because also very ashamed right now. I am very ashamed right now um the the whole the 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 whole controversy comes out of the fact that when annihilation came out the book came out they then signed off on selling the rights to annihilation for an adaptation to alex garland right three months later jeff vandermeer comes out with authority which is the follow-up to that which is the one that's told from a, a I think it's a, a, a third-person perspective, and it's actually describing like these other characters through the a debriefing process of like what happened in the the twelfth expedition, right? And that's where it comes to light that she was Asian American. And the argument is like, you know, I know that he's not adapting the first book, but he should have had the forethought to have looked ahead and looked at the 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 second and the third book in order if you were actually like doing research for it because the original book is only 200 pages and it's and, and it just like it it it, it you're kind of it, missing the point though it, yeah it, it spreads itself on the wire and it's just like no they 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 sold the rights specifically to this they had no intention alex garden does not strike me as the kind of guy who's into making franchise films he doesn't strike right. me as the kind of guy who gives a fuck about making who's who's going to come back in 10 years later and come out with ex machina 2 Right, he's not gonna he's not gonna do that. He doesn't but, strike me as that kind of but, person. But um, I've known nothing of the books right. really, other than the small descriptions I've heard. Right. Um, but aren't we as the readers supposed to go into this? The only thing we know about the characters in the first book. Mm-hmm. Is that they're female and that's it? Like there are no other descriptions. Yeah, there's no other. Back. There's no. There's no, so, no. There's no other marked descriptions of this. And honestly, the the knowledge of of Natalie Portman's character or the anal- the analogous Natalie Portman character being Asian American, from what I remember, doesn't have any pertinence to the actual text yeah. itself. But I understand what what the right. desire for a representation is in that. But and, this and is it where feel, you and need it feels your like representation, a, right? No offense, but there are so many other areas that I would say, like you, you should carve it out. I don't. I don't think that this is. I, I don't feel like the the casting of of Natalie Portman to to compare this to to the other major controversy, like like Scarlett Johansson being cast in, in Ghost in the Shell. I don't. Well, f- that just made sense. No, I I don't feel like that they was cleared that up. That was at ma- the end of the film. Remember, I don't think that. That's true. The casting of Natalie Portman in this film, the lead role, is a 
is an act of of malice or deliberate erasure or even necessarily ignorance on part of the people who were the casting directors or Alex Garland or anyone involved. I think it's just Alex Garland was adapting what he remembered from the first book. He had no intention of of expanding. He remembered a white woman. he just he remembered that it was women and that he no, wanted. No, I mean this movie is right one of the better cast in movies when it comes to you know multi cast uh, yeah multi ethnicity and whatnot. So uh, that's what it, that's what confused me so much when when this this sort of like came to a head like in in the initial weeks before its release because like after it was announced and it was announced who the casting was like everybody was like oh yay it's like yay it's like it's it's a it's a predominantly female cast like okay that's really cool like awesome like let's see what what we do with that and then it sort of became like this roundabout like oh but it has to be led by natalie portman it's like oh it's got to be led by a white woman i'm just like and then I, i i this is not a case of Ghost in the Shell where the person who was adapting this property deliberately went out of their way to rewrite fundamental aspects of the original text in order to conform to the shape of casting this one person. This is not how this happened. This is this is totally distinct from that situation. Like I, yeah. I, I can't I cannot assume malice or stupidity in this in this situation. No, I would say if you you know throughout the entire movie, it doesn't really. Nothing. I won't say doesn't make a difference, but other than her eating sushi at the picnic table, like it it just didn't you know feel like he was doing anything wrong. Ouch. So um, final ratings. I believe so. Yeah. All right. So. Tucson. Tucson. Go right ahead. I enjoyed this film. I didn't enjoy it as much as Ex Machina. Um, it left a very memorable impression on me coming out of the theater. I really enjoyed it. I couldn't think of – I think like after I got out, like I, I posted on Twitter. It was like I couldn't really think of anything else that was quite like it in theaters right now. And I was just very much enamored with its approach to the source material where I felt like it wasn't airing from – I am more concerned about it saying something that is complementary to the original text – Versus just saying what the original text said verbatim. And I think that it did that. I think that it added another dimension in and of itself that is distinct from the text, but yet it is also sort of an evolution and a complement to what was said in that original book. And I feel like that is the sweet spot of what an adaptation should do. Yeah. It's it's the it's the it's same beast, different shape, and I loved it for that. That said you know, a lot of these pieces don't really cohere in as as well as I would like them to, especially upon like a second viewing. I was just like, oh, it's like, is there anything? Did you that... find yourself like less taken, so to speak? With I think so. Okay. I think I think I, just... I, I think I was a bit less taken with it, but I I still. Not that you were less engaged. Yeah, like there, but... like all the things that I still enjoyed about it, like the way that it uses, the way that it actually uses lens flare in a way that is. That that is in, Actually, in, incumbent upon the actual environment because it is refracting light because of the space of the actual shimmer, and it never felt like weirdly like not, not distracting, right. but like weirdly like oh thank God they put lens flare in here, otherwise I wouldn't think that this was real. Right, yeah, and and, and the way that they sort of designed like the the foliage 
the like imagining like how these different species would like commingle with one another. Like I really enjoyed that, but yeah. otherwise, like some of the plotting, some of the characters, um, the final act in some parts, like it just it didn't really come yeah. together for me. I would give it a, a three out of five. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it, um, mm-hmm. re- whether or not you've read the book or not. So right on. So I. Uh... I'm pretty torn on this film. I, I want to Tear see it, it again. Thanks, bud. I want to see it again, and I, I say that a lot about films and then don't necessarily rush to rewatch them. But but I would like to see this film again because I liked Ex Machina so much. Upon I, I liked it a lot the first viewing, but liked it more as I progressed through the second, third, fourth viewing of it. Um I want to give this one another shot, and I may, you know, lean one way or the other again. Uh, but, but I'm pretty much down the middle on on this right now. I think this is a a well done film by Alex Garland, but I, I don't think that there's a lot here that is really great work, um, and nothing that I would say blew my mind in a way that that I was hoping for. So. I'm right down the middle with two and a half out of five for Annihilation. I think it it just is, is kind of kind of there for me. Hell yeah. All right. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I give it two and a half out of five as well. I, I think there's so much of this that is interesting and thought-provoking and quite a few scenes that are just very well done and very well shot and scored and whatnot. So this is something I absolutely recommend that anyone tries. You know, someone hated it. I would completely understand. I was like, to say a lot of critics love this. So yeah. it's not like it, it's, it's there's a lot of people just like despising this or anything. No, but if, if someone was just very against it, I wouldn't take it as like someone who just thinks well not, I mean, it could be, but I wouldn't take it as the typical, like, okay, they're just not accepting anything that's not the norm. I do think, personally, there's some structural problems that kind of collapse under a lot of scrutiny. But in general, there's so many great sequences in this movie, and that's kind of what makes it a fun trek. Um, So, yeah, overall, it's two and a half out of five, but... I'm no stranger to revisiting movies uh, after, um, you know, being slightly underwhelmed on a first viewing, especially this kind of hard sci-fi. Just this weekend, I rewatched Blade Runner 2049, and my first time I watched that, I gave it a 2 out of 5, and I fully admitted that I really <laughs> admired what it was doing, but it just right. did not... In that moment, yeah. for the viewing edge. But I rewatched it on my TV, which... I know a lot of people were like, you need to see it in theaters, which I totally understand. Like, mm. It was a gorgeous movie, and the sound is incredible in that movie. But I felt like I paid attention better on my TV because, for me at least, I had the subtitles on. So there were a few times when people were just talking too quiet for me in the theater, like Ryan Gosling's whisper voice, whatever. And I'm not going on a Blade Runner tangent. But in general, I definitely understand that this is another one of those canonical sci-fi pieces that I just can't really accept. Uh, trust my first opinion and while i don't see it skyrocketing in my estimation because of my initial reservations um i'm still excited to go back to this world and to re-enter the shimmer oh. did you have a rating or did you give it a rating? i said two and a half okay. out of five just like you yeah um i would say that as someone who absolutely loves theater viewings and i still do and probably always will as long as they exist although we have to be inching closer to. Oh, you just, mean the Disney Arcadiums? Yeah, we have to be inching closer to just 
having films beamed to your television as soon as they are released. I'm but as sh- long as they're all like Cloverfield, I feel like they'll be good for Fuck. a while. No, seriously, I feel like it's that kind of mentality that will actually save the theater-going <laughs> business for, uh, for a little while. I will say I have enjoyed a lot of home video um, films more on my television than I did in the theater. Dunkirk, Baby Driver. Yeah. And I like the presentation on my television for whatever reason. I agree. Pr- TVs, and I still will say... Theater is basically the one true presentation as far as it needs to work there before it can work anywhere else, you know, yeah. whatever, and I'm uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a home video nerd who subscribes to the idea that, you know, Blu-ray is better than DVD, and yes, 4K UHD is better than Blu-ray, and I haven't even really switched completely over to that or anything. Um, it's in a weird spot now it where is. it's not complete. I'm kind of like yeah. collecting it for the future because mm-hmm. I do know that it's not going to die in the way HD DVD died. Yeah. But I'm not in anywhere in the technological place to truly embrace it because my TV in and of itself is not – it has the capability, but it's not made for it. Uh, anyway, um, but there's something to be said in which you know a, a TV viewing of a movie – Especially one that you didn't love and you are trying to reassess. It, it's there's a lot to be said of something that's at your control. For example, I pause Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I'd say like four times. <laughs> no, but like halfway through, I did take like a little break, and mm-hmm. like I know that sounds awful, probably, mm-hmm. but it made me like the movie more. It's a long fucking film. It is, and I you think take it a break. feels long mm-hmm. for someone who wasn't quite gelling with it. Right. And now I'll say this though: I when I paused it. When I sat down to watch it, I kind of figured I would pause it, but I never thought that I would go right back because all I did basically was made a snack and mm-hmm. got it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I was going to be motivated to press play when I got back to the couch, but I was because I was that wrapped up in it. That's yeah. good. Anyway, before we quit, we have to do one tiny segment that's going to take five seconds. All right. Okay. No, seriously. Um, so we ha- we have an email. Oh, wow. Holy yeah. shit. All right. So I'm going to read an email we got bum, bum. Okay. from a listener named Gina. Gina. Okay. Hi. And I saved it. We got it like two weeks ago, but I saved it for this episode because I thought it would be funny that uh, basically <laughs> this person, no spoilers, but is going to mention Cloverfield after we talked about it. Okay. So anyway, Dear Film Tank. It's kind of a long one, so strap in. Yeah, please. I don't typically reach out to podcasts I follow, but have been wanting to send an email to the three of you. I just wanted you to know how much I enjoy listening to the three, and sometimes more of you talk about movies. Aw, thank you. Is this your mom? No, it's not. (laughs) My mom's name is Linda. (laughs) In case you're keeping score at home. You met her. (laughs) Okay. Uh, it is really refreshing listening to a group of friends respecting each other's opinions while also having a bit of fun with one another. There have been numerous times that I've laughed out loud while listening to the podcast at work, then causing me to try and explain why I'm laughing. Listening at work also makes the day go by a little faster and makes it a little better. Aww, thank you. There are still a handful of backlogged episodes I want to listen to, as well as some that I want to listen to if and when I watch the film, but I look forward to the episode dump that comes every month or so. So this is like I, I gotta say, Gina, you are very much on our wavelength as far as right. uh, yeah, you're, you're uh, noticing our patterns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, always exciting when I get the notification from Podbean, and it isn't about an old episode. Yeah, the app really wants me to listen to episode twelve. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to your best of 2017 episode. Well, Gina, that'll be dropping at the moment I'm saying this, pretty much this week, but. Mm-hmm. 
it'll it should probably be, be before this. It's yes. paradox. <laughs> the best of and top six episodes are by far my favorites. Gives you guys more of a chance to go on even more random tangents and talk about more than one single film. They also act as good recommendation episodes. Because mm-hmm. of the various top six episodes, I have a list of films I'm definitely interested in going through now. Other than the multi-film episodes, my favorite has got to be your episode on Jigsaw. I've listened to it three or four times now, and it always has me laughing. The difference between Toussaint's pure dislike of the franchise compared to Nick's eating it up and Alex being the calm voice of the three is just completely great. I'm for sure more on the side with Nick in that I love the franchise, and it, it was so great to have my Halloween tradition of seeing a Saw film in theaters back again. After watching the doc on the special features, I'm more excited with the chance of there being more film in the Saw franchise. I will point out that uh, part of the Jigsaw Blu-ray, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm actually interested. There's Do you a... own it yet, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the a... first fucking week came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was in line. But I like, have... oh, sir, what are you doing? I'm here for Jigsaw, baby. Oh, and then he opened up the red velvet. <laughs> yeah, he right. opened up the door. Yeah, I was like, well, come yeah. right here. Okay. The Continental? <laughs> it may be 5 a.m., but you can come into this Target, good sir. I like you're there to like buy like Halo or whatever new game. <laughs> right. He's like, no, Jigsaw. Oh well, then come on in. Yeah. Um, but there is actually supposed to be like an over hour documentary about the history of the franchise and the quote unquote possible future. I'm sure that's way better than the actual film. Probably. <laughs> I'm beyond excited for you guys to watch Thoroughbreds later this year. I was fortunate to have seen it this past November and loved it. Uh, I believe she saw it at the St. Louis Film Festival. Okay. So, a little trivia. The trailers disappoint me. I think they give too much away based on what I've seen, but I hope you all enjoy it. Knowing very little about it going into it made for quite a ride during the screening. Mm. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Seeing as Netflix just dropped the newest Cloverfield movie, I thought I'd mention it. Your Cloverfield slash 10 Cloverfield Lane episode is one I still need to listen to. Been waiting to rewatch those movies first. But now that the newest one is suddenly out, I think I'll watch them soon. Look forward to hearing how you guys enjoyed or didn't enjoy it. I liked it. It was fun being back in the Cloverfield universe, even if some parts were a bit silly. Best part of this universe is thinking of and seeing all the different theories there are. Anyway, thought I'd send something your way. It was actually fun writing this up. Hope you all are having a good year so far. Look forward to the new episodes, Gina. Oh, thank you, Gina. That That's was awesome. a very well thought out and well worded email. So thank, so thank you very much. Thank you very much, Gina. Yes, we appreciate yes. that. And you yeah. know what's wonderful about reading that now is yeah. we're actually going to talk about thoroughbreds on our next episode. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a perfect segue. I know. Yeah. You, it's like you were saving that for oh, or something. Man. How do I do this? <laughs> I don't know. So the film Thoroughbreds, which myself and I feel like I had seen the trailer before this, but we saw the trailer in Evanston yeah. when we were waiting to see something. A Killing film. of a Sacred Deer? No, it was okay. after that. It was when okay. we went in Dece- no, November? December? Okay. Was it Killing? I don't know. Anyways, we were in Evanston, and we saw this trailer, and I leaned over to Nick and said, oh, man, I really want to see this. And then Nick enjoyed the trailer, which we, uh, if you haven't noticed, we usually don't really like the same films. Especially before we see the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like, as far as, like, where where our tastes converge, I think a lot of times we'll see a movie, and then we'll both kind of somewhere meet somewhere, if not in the middle, across the plane. But trailers especially are extremely, I think, divisive between us. And, you know, this film stars two females that are... Which, you've got my attention from that alone. <laughs> definitely up and coming, but at the same time for- are not... Big stars like somebody like Jennifer Lawrence is, 
But you've got Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch yep. and Split. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and also you have Olivia Cook, um, who you would remember from me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Yep. And uh, also, um, what's his name from? Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna get there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Anton Yelchin's yeah. final performance. Yeah. yeah. And also, uh, the father on uh, this film, played by Paul Sparks, who I love. Mm-hmm. And I think you might like. I, well, I like him a lot uh, for his role on Boardwalk Empire. I was just saying, I love him because of his role in The Girlfriend Experience Season 1. I only so, know him as the the sort of paramour to um, Lady Underwood in House of Cards. That's all I know him. That's, he is in there. I haven't yeah, seen it. But so he, you don't need to see it. It's we all know him from playing something. good character actor roles in television shows. Yep. Um, but here he's playing uh, asshole believe, dad. Yeah, I believe it's Anya Taylor Joy's father, and he definitely steals the show in the trailer. And I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, fine. <laughs> I'm mostly like someone who I I loved him in the Girlfriend Experience, but seeing him in this Thoroughbreds trailer, I'm like, in the Girlfriend Experience, he was a huge asshole. So I was like, oh, finally, he's a huge asshole that somebody wants to murder. Like it was just the next step from <laughs> that. So. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see what this is, and yeah. uh, hopefully uh, we can give our review of it, and then maybe Gina can send us uh, hey, her review. I bet oh. she will now that she heard that. There yeah. you go. Boom. So, um, yes, thank you to Gina for sending that on, and uh, we are also looking forward to giving the review on Thoroughbreds coming hey. up on our next episode. Yeah. So you can always email us, just like Gina did, at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Or you can find us every once a year on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at mm-hmm. Film Tank. When the plants Show. align. Yep. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a paradox. Hey. So, from Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to us here on Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.